Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Alan Noble, on why even getting out of bed in the morning can be a testimony to others of God's grace in our lives. And people around me are watching me. My children are watching me, my students are watching me, my coworkers, my friends, my family members, strangers are watching me. And part of what they're watching is, they're watching and seeing how I will survive, how I will move through the day despite my suffering. Because at certain times in life, I'm going to suffer. And when I choose to get out of bed, even when it's very hard, I communicate to the people around me that life is worth living, that life is fundamentally good and worth living because it's a gift from God. Alan Noble, next. Life can be challenging under any circumstances. For some, it can seem overwhelming. Dr. Ellen Noble says, at times, even the decision to get out of bed in the morning demands tremendous courage. He says this decision is a testimony to others and a witness to the goodness of God. He teaches at Oklahoma Baptist University and is author of On Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living. Dr. Noble, it is a most unusual title for a book. Please give us the background. Yeah, so I was editing my second book, You Are Not Your Own, uh, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. And when you're editing a book that you've written, you're sick of it. (laughs) And uh, by that time, you've thoroughly read it and reread it, and you're kind of done with it. So I was feeling kind of discouraged about that book. And I had this essay called On Living, um, that uh, was just a, a short essay on mental affliction and that ha- I had published about a year prior. And I kept getting emails from people saying that this was the best thing I had written and it had encouraged them so much. And I thought, well, I want to turn that into a book. Um, and so I did. And so it's a, it's a long essay called On Getting Out of Bed. Mm. And the subject is the struggles of... Uh, mental affliction, which I argue that all people deal with at one point in their lives or another. And um, the burden and gift of living is represents this idea that 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 living is both a, a a burden. In other words, it's not something that we asked for, and yet it is a an obligation that we have to live, to choose to live and to choose to live rightly before God. But it's also a gift, and it's easy to forget that gift when we get distracted by life and the despairs of life. And so the book, uh, uh, the the essay, grew out of. It sounds like obviously it grew out of your own your own personal experience. Yes, yeah, yeah. I grew out of my own personal experience and in working with college students. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but right now there's a mental health crisis in across the country, especially with young people. Hmm. And so this is something that I'm uh, personally familiar with. And then having worked with many college students who suffer from anxiety, depression, and various illnesses, um, not in that, not working with them as a, uh, 
as a therapist, obviously, but as just as a, a, a mentor and friend and someone who cares about them. Um, this was something that was uh, very near and dear to me. You're right. You make many uh, interesting uh, comments and insights in the book, but that uh, one of them is that we don't acknowledge uh, enough as believers that life is hard. We do tend to acknowledge that it's a gift, but the fact that it's that it's hard, we tend uh, sometimes maybe to minimize that or not really want to perhaps emphasize that too much because it sounds like we're complaining. Yeah, or, you know, uh, I think a lot of, especially evangelicals, um, uh, in general, they don't want to be seen as depressed or as anxious because they're afraid that it's a a, a sin. And uh, I know that um, I, I've heard from from other people. I've uh, I, I remember the story of a of a woman who was depressed and broken over a poor family dynamic. A, a mother who is um, emotionally abusive and. She went to another woman in the church and, and explained her frustration and mentioned her depression. And the other woman said, well, you know, God is sovereign. And uh, I feel like that that kind of an attitude of this flippant um, responses to suffering, mental affliction in particular, I think is too common in the church today. Um, well, we want to be seen as content and as happy and as joyful and as... Uh, all these things, and indeed, those are great things to aspire to, but when we hide our suffering um, beneath the mask of joy and happiness, we do a disservice to others, I think. It does seem like, uh, at least for many, a major point of day-to-day -day living is comfort and so forth, and, and you write that a comfortable, pleasant life actually isn't normal. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. This is this is how I opened the book. Is this discovery that I had as a young adult um, who was raised around a lot of suffering, a lot of people who suffered from abuse and neglect and and various illnesses and addictions. Um, but my understanding was that 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 suffering was an anomaly that those were outliers those were strange people who tended to choose their suffering rather than um rather than being normal in some ways and what happened was is i grew older and i joined um small groups and bible studies and became dear friends with various people people who i thought were living very comfortable content happy easy uh, lives, I discovered that they had traumas and sufferings and maladies that I I didn't even know existed, problems that I didn't even know existed until I got close to people. And um, the more I have grown close to, uh, to people and the more they have uh, shared their burdens with me, the more I've realized that suffering is normal. And the church has always known this. The church is this has been a part of our tradition for a long time. It's just that the contemporary world can make it feel like it's possible to live a comfortable, cozy, easy, uh, safe life uh, if you just buy the right product or sign up for the right program or take the right life coach or whatever, or do the right Bible study. Then you know your life will be cozy and comfortable and easy. And that's not what life is. You're right that anxiety and depression, for example, 
actually are rational responses to our chaotic world. Yeah, so this is part of the thesis of my second book, You Are Not Your Own, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. And the idea is that our contemporary world has what I call a false anthropology. That is a false understanding of what it means to be a human being. The contemporary world assumes that we are our own and belong to ourselves. And if you start from that premise, then you have to conclude that each of us is individually responsible for creating a meaningful, exciting, interesting life, including identity, purpose, meaning, value, and belonging. All these various aspects of what it means to be a human. And we each have to carry this burden by ourselves. No one else can do it for us. That's what it part, That's part of what it means to be a human being. Well, if that's the case, if we're given this inhuman burden to carry around, then of course we're going to feel anxious. Of course we're going to feel depressed because we're all going to feel inadequate. And that is the modern experience. Very many of us feel inadequate and inhibited and alienated. And uh, so when I say it's a rational response, I'm not saying go ahead and feel anxious and depressed. That's a good thing. That's not my point. My point is that when you look at the world in which we live and the trauma and the suffering and the heartache, it's reasonable to be hurt. You make an interesting point that there has, you believe, there's been a massive shift in recent years in how evangelicals and Americans in general understand mental health, a massive shift. What? How would you characterize that? So when I grew up in the church, uh, mental illness was highly stigmatized. And so, for example, going to therapy was very suspect. It was something that only the most desperate people did. And instead of that, you should just only go to your pastor. Um, I highly recommend going to your pastor if you're suffering. Um, it's something that I do. Um, but I also encourage people to seek professional help as well. Um, and if that was true with psychiatry or psychology, it was even more true of psychiatry and medication. There was uh, an even greater stigma there. And what I have seen shift is a shift to um, people no longer stigmatizing those things. It's normal and accepted and welcomed that people seek professional help. And I think that's a, I think that's a good shift. And you believe it's a disservice to overly rely on the language of mental health, though? Yeah, so I want to put things in intention. And uh, part of that tension is that I, I think that while it's good that we've lost so much of this stigma, um, and there's still work to be done, the language of mental health can make suffering seem too tidy, seem too clean, too simple, too easy. It can put our suffering in a box. It can give us the illusion that since we have a name for our suffering, uh, since we have a title, since we can get a diagnosis for our suffering, then we can easily get a solution or a cure or uh, a fix. And uh, the reality is much messier. A lot of mental affliction doesn't have an answer, doesn't have a cure. Some of it doesn't even have a diagnosis. You also write, and this is a strong thread throughout your book on getting out of bed, the burden and gift of living, that Christianity is a strong support 
for mental health. Perhaps that doesn't need to be said, but maybe it does. Yes. So, I mean, at the heart of this book is the idea that our lives are gifts given by a God who loves us and created us intentionally and is preserving us moment by moment. And uh, that is where the hope of this book lies in God's love for us. It's not a, a cheap love. It's not a simple answer. And I'm not offering that as a cure-all to solve problems, but a deep and abiding hope that pulls us through very difficult times when it's hard to get out of bed each day. Well, coming back to that, uh, the title and what you just said, that decision to get out of bed, to rise in the morning and face the day, you point out, there's a number of things you point out about that decision, but one broad uh, consideration is that our decisions, like to get out of bed in the morning, affect or impact others in ways that we probably can't even imagine. Yeah, so that's the other real key to this book, is this fact, uh, and I do believe that it's a fact, that each of us are witnesses. We're all a witness whether we like to be or not. I didn't sign up to be my brother's keeper, but I am my brother's keeper. And people around me are watching me. My children are watching me. My students are watching me. My coworkers, my friends, my family members, strangers are watching me. And part of what they're watching is they're watching and saying how I will survive, how I will move through the day despite my suffering. Because at certain times in life, I'm going to suffer. And when I choose to get out of bed, even when it's very hard, I communicate to the people around me that life is worth living, that life is fundamentally good and worth living because it's a gift from God. Now, in one way, in one respect, that's a burden. I didn't ask to be, again, I didn't ask to be my brother's keeper. And uh, some days I would rather stay in bed and not fight the good fight. But I think it's worth noting that when you are in a period of great suffering, especially uh, depression, mm -hmm. there's a feeling of hopelessness, a feeling that you don't have purpose or uh, meaning to your life. And so I think while this burden might seem like just another burden on, on top of all the other mental affliction that you're suffering, that burden is also a purpose that can give you a motivation to get out of bed. You point out that that uh, that getting out of bed actually, in, in certain contexts, uh, is an act of courage. Of great courage. One of the quotes I have is from my, one of my favorite authors, Cormac McCarthy's *The Road*, where uh, a young boy asks his father what a, what the bravest thing he's ever done is, and the father answers something like, "Get out of bed this morning." Mm. And I think that's true for many of us. Um, and it's a silent kind of courage, a kind of courage that other people might not even see, might not even notice that you're b doing something courageous. But we know, and more importantly, God knows that it's courageous to face our fears, to face our anxiety, our depression, our, our affliction, and get out of bed anyway and go through the day, feed the dog, feed the cat, take the dog for a walk, care for our loved ones go to work, take a shower, eat. These simple things are acts of 
worship to a God who created us and desires us to live this life. My guest is Dr. Alan Noble. We're talking about his book on getting out of bed, the burden and gift of living. What do you say to the person that asks, well, what is the point of, of this mental affliction, this suffering that I'm going through or that I frequently or often am subject mm-hmm. to? What, what's the point? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know what the point of your mental suffering or affliction is. Sometimes I think there's um, God is using it for a very specific purpose. Uh, Sometimes I think the point is that we live in a fallen world and our bodies are fallen too and our minds are included in that. Um, sometimes the point is that we have gone through some trauma or suffering, some personal loss, but whatever the direct purpose is, I think the more important truth is that God uses our suffering to his glory, which doesn't make our suffering any less painful and difficult, but it does put it into perspective. I, I don't know what the specific purpose of your suffering is, um, but I know that God is sovereign and he loves you and he's caring for you. And your task is to honor him moment by moment by how you deal with that suffering. Very often, I, I think on this side of paradise, we don't get an answer to that question most most of the time, but we do know what it looks like to live rightly and that is to glorify God, and that is to get out of bed, and that is to embrace this life he's given us. And the importance of doing the next thing. So I talk in the book quite a bit about doing the next right thing, um, because when you were going through a period of mental affliction, having big plans seems impossible, seems uh, out of control, seems beyond our scope or our imagination. And so instead, we have to just ask, our, ask the question, what is the next right thing to do? What is, what is the next thing? Do the next thing. Think in small steps. The next thing I have to do is walk home. The next thing I have to do is make dinner. The next thing I have to do is prepare my lunch for tomorrow. And thinking in those concrete, simple terms is a way of, I think, glorifying God by, by, by doing what is right. It's perhaps one one aspect, uh, and, and this is generalizing, I realize, but in terms of considering why this suffering or why this mental affliction to, is to perhaps cultivate empathy for other people. Suffering does have that effect, doesn't it? I, I don't want to say, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to provide too tidy of an answer, mm-hmm. but I do think that that is one of the, one of the effects. That suffering humbles us and it teaches us empathy. And there have certainly been times in my own life where I've been able to love others and provide them hope and encouragement uh, because of what I have gone through. And others have done the same for me. Their suffering has turned into a gift, a gift that they did not want to have. But nevertheless, it's a gift that I received and was blessed by. You make a fascinating point uh, in your book on getting out of bed that experiences of mental suffering are what you say are always incommunicable except to God. In in other words, we, in one sense, words almost fail us because those those kinds of suffering, as you explain, are 
distinctly uh, individual. Yeah, so there's this strange thing about mental affliction that that you you can't fully communicate it. You can try, but you're always stumbling over the words. You can never quite get out what it means to have a certain kind of anxiety or a certain kind of depression or fear or whatever the affliction might be. Um, and that can make you feel terribly alone. And um, yet at the same time, as I argue in the book, mental affliction is universal. In some aspect, at some point in your life, in, in some way, you were going to suffer mentally because of some personal loss or trauma or sorrow or because of an illness, a mental illness. But you're going to suffer. Um, that's a part of the reality of living in this world. So there's this strange duality. On the one hand, we can't fully communicate what it's like to be inside our own head. On the other hand, uh, we're suffering just like everyone else. Draw our attention specifically to the scripture, Dr. Noble, and you do that quite a bit in, in your book as well. Would you draw our attention to a particular scripture, particular verse or verses which are especially helpful in times of such uh, mental affliction or, and also even to Jesus' life and what he encountered? Um, yes, you know, I don't have the scripture memorized. Um, I'm sorry to say I should, um, but I do point to it in, um, in the book repeatedly. I think uh, there are two, two sections that passages that come to mind. One is in the Gospels when um, Christ is speaking to, um, to, to Martha, who's anxious and worried about a great many things. And uh, he tells her that only one thing is necessary. And um, that one thing is, it's to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I say it's paradoxical because it's a, an action, but it's an action in stillness. Mm -hmm. It's an action in um, ceasing from our labors. And uh, when we are anxious and worried about a great many things, uh, that verse, especially when he says, Martha, Martha, the repetition of the word, the name Martha, there's something about that that always cuts me to the quick. The other passage, I think, is in First Peter, where... Peter talks about um, anxiety and the affliction that all of us deal with at one at one time or another, and he notes that we can cast our fears and our anxieties on Christ because He cares for us, and uh, at the proper time He will restore us. Are there habits that you might suggest to form or to work on forming, whether or not we're in the midst of some kind of mental affliction or adversity that, that can help us move through them or help us live through them? Yes, yes. I mean, I think one of the most important things for us to do is to have relationships. There are individual practices that we can have, but in order to get through times of personal suffering, you need people. You need friends. And in the contemporary world, it seems to me that it's difficult to have friendships. Um, we are often overwhelmed with work and with busyness, and it can be hard for us to know what to do next and how to do it. 
and uh, to find the time to be with other people. So probably I think the most important habit is building deep friendships, intentionally building deep friendships with people who can walk alongside you and comfort and, and ease you when, uh, when you are suffering and to whom you can be a comfort when that time comes for them. So the role there of believers, of the church, of the body of Christ. Absolutely. It's amazing to me. I think that, you know, Christians take for granted what a wonderful thing it is to belong to the church, to have a built-in community uh, built into the fabric of their lives. But we need to take advantage of that. We need to lean into it and be intentional about it because just belonging to a church is not enough. The book is on getting out of bed, the burden and gift of living, and we're talking about both of those, but you say one one aspect of living or dealing with a mental affliction of some kind is it requires vigilance. Yeah, so um, when you are suffering with a mental illness specifically, um, it's easy to slip into a, a, a spirit of or a, a mood of despair. And so we have to be vigilant to desire to um, be working on our, our mental health. It sneaks up on us. One day you might be doing well and you might think that things are always going to be well and all of a sudden your illness flares up again. And if you're not vigilant and uh, an advocate for your own health, then it's easy to fall into a deep pit. And so uh, we have to be vigilant. It is kind of bringing the conversation full circle, but your book is on getting out of bed, the burden and gift of living. Can you leave us with some encouragement about the value, the importance of doing that? And I realize you've kind of shared that throughout, but the value of of getting out of bed. Part of the beauty of this life is that we are a witness. Our very lives, our very breath is a witness to the God who created us. And when we get out of bed each morning, in a faint way, we are echoing God's it is good statement in creation, at the, in Genesis, at the act of creation. We're echoing it by affirming, by embracing the goodness of living, by leaning into it. And our action by getting out of bed and living life despite maybe feelings of tremendous anxiety or fear or depression testifies to God's goodness. It testifies to God's goodness to all those who are watching us. And that is the burden and the gift of living. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Alan Noble, a professor at Oklahoma Baptist University and author of On Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People.